The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Exchange, a conversation with people of interest to business and finance around the world, hosted by me, Rob Cox, the global editor of Reuters Breaking Views. Jeff Ubbin has shaken up some of the biggest companies on the planet. His firm, Value Act Capital, was behind the ouster of Steve Ballmer as the chief executive of Microsoft, as you may remember. But Jeff is focused on a new kind of activism now. He's handed management of the $14 billion fund to his successor, Mason Morfitt. And now he's running the Spring Fund, a billion-dollar-plus vehicle that's taking companies to task for ignoring environmental and social goals which are critical to their long-term sustainability. Anyway, Jeff was kind enough to travel to New York from his San Francisco base to participate in the Brayton Views 2020 Predictions event last month. In addition to discussing Spring Fund's goals, Jeff was candidly repentant about the role activists had played in pushing some companies to do things that didn't always turn out well in the longer term. As he said, the buy, build, and cut strategy, I own that. I better learn from my mistakes. Anyway, give a listen to my chat with Jeff Ubbett. You and I have talked for many, many years now, usually on, on the G of ES&G and, and, and some of these deals. Spring Fund's different, though. I mean, maybe you, I think you said that the evolution of value add capital from stewards of governance to stewards of environmental and social impact is a natural progression. I mean, why so? To explain, you know, sort of the theory behind that. Uh, so the, the, the kind of the phase of corporate governance over the last 30 years would be, since I got in the business, uh, you had, we well, had the hostile LBO of the 80s, which was your first form of activism that was pretty much shut down with the poison pill and staggered boards. Um, and, then, and then you had the kind of the rise of the, of the mutual fund. I was at Fidelity, you know. Um, I, I would have some views when I owned a company at Fidelity and the management team would say, you know, if you don't like what we're doing, you can sell the stock, and, and I would because what else was I going to do? Um, and so that was kind of the, I would call that the director management primacy era, uh, that, that kind of 90s to, to early 2000s. Um, and, that, and then you have the crash or the, the bubble, and you have Enron and WorldCom, which, which, which blow up with the idea that the directors weren't paying attention. And then we started Value Act in 2000, started investing in late 2000, 2001, and we had Act in our name, and it was this idea that, you know, the shareholders do own this company. We should be talking to the directors. That conversation didn't really occur. People forget how quickly, how, how, you know, how, how that was. And, and then for the next, I, don't, I would say for the next 15 years, the shareholder activist uh, era took over. We call it shareholder primacy now. And... And um, I, I thought it was going to develop more along the lines of shareholder directors. Uh, you know, you go in, uh, the, these owners go into the room, they work with the board, they make the company sustainable. It, it, in my opinion, it kind of didn't go that way. The, in, the incentive systems are too short-term, the capital is too short-term. And it, and it moved more into media campaigns and letter writing and, and kind of one- or two-year projects rather than five or six year projects like like what we've done historically. And I, I you know, I start to, I started to get a sense that that um, the shareholder primacy model had gone too far. Now I'm a it takes a profit maximizer to know a profit maximizer. <laughs> and I was 
you know, I know them. I, I was one of them. So, I am. so it's your fault and you're rectifying it by starting the spring. Yeah, there's run. some guilt there for <laughs> sure. And we had our, we built unsustainable companies. You know, the, the buy and build strategy and buy, build and cut strategy at Valiant was an unsustainable company. And we built that thing. I own that. I better learn from my mistakes. So I, the, so I was, I was um, reflecting on that and, I, and it just seemed like um, the pendulum had now swung too far to the shareholder. Um, it's just not right that somebody in New York who maybe not, not even visited the company could write a letter and say, sell your business. And, and, the, and, the, and some VP at that company who's been there for 15 years goes home to his wife and says, I may lose my job. Like that, that sort of stuff is not free. The, that letter is not free to society. Um, so I was trying to figure out how to get the long term back. How, how can companies reclaim the ability to think about somebody other than the shareholder? Um, and and, uh, and, and it, for me, it was a natural thing that we would lead that next phase because to a certain extent, we led the last phase. Um, which is this idea that the multi-stakeholder model um, um, is, it, you know, is required to make capitalism work for society, period. That's where we are. Um, now, the reason I think it's good for returns is this is a really big picture. Do you want me to stop and do you want to ask another question? No, or? no, no, go. Okay. This fits into the whole the zeitgeist of, of stakeholder capitalism yeah. having a resurgence or a... Surgeons. Now, this, this, this is a theory. It may be way out there, and I'm just full of crap. But if you think about the last 30 or 40 years, you know, the big returns are, are, are when you allocate well against scarce resource. Um, and in the 80s, the scarce resource was finance and material capital. We were, we were building out the material economy. You know, interest rates were 15%, tax rates were 70%. And those companies that were good at earning a return on capital, material capital, deserved our money. Um, and to a certain extent, you know, that served us well when globalization hit. Our companies were good at competing on the, national st on the international stage. Um, but, and then by the way, social and environmental capital, natural capital were long. You know, nature was free as far as we knew. Our fund is named after uh, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring. So she had reminded people that, you know, DDT and pesticides, you know, uh, uh, impacted the planet and indirectly us. But somehow that, that, that was an environmental movement that kind of passed. And so we you know, nature was essentially free again. And social, social and human capital was also free. We had a really strong middle class. The social fabric was awesome. Tuition was really low. We had the GI Bill. We put more people to, into college uh, that, that were with a diverse background. Um, all good. Forty years later, f interest rates are zero, tax rates are zero. Anybody can get a loan to buy stock back or buy their competitor. What's short is, you know, natural capital and human and social capital. Uh, we don't have an educated workforce. Um, you know, of course, the planet's pushing back all over the place in terms of water, uh, available fresh water, um, and then you've got all the, all the, you know, all the ramifications of, 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 of climate change with, with, with regards to, you know, drying out California, 
killing beetles that kill, you know, uh, not killing beetles because it's so warm, the trees die, it's kindling for, for fires, the winds are different, all of that is, is climate change and that has a huge impact on business. So the next 30 or 40 years, in my opinion, are going to be those companies that make the long-term capital allocation decision to prioritize and allocate well against the scarce resource, natural and social. Um, the, some, you know, the, this is big capital too. To, to clean up energy, this is big capital. This is not DoorDash or, you know, um, pick your favorite social media, pick your favorite app, since most companies that go public are basically SaaS or apps. That, this is not that. And so I think Wall Street again is, you know, is, is kind of, I guess, chasing the last, the last cycle. But the big money is going to be made against big capital projects. Allocate, capital expenditure that, that basically takes us from a hydrocarbon based economy to one that's not. Exactly. And it was everything when we look around on the planet in front of us is right. what you're talking about. Yeah. But you're only a, what, billion dollar fund, $2 billion fund? So it's a billion you, dollars, yeah. How you, you, and you've talked about portfolio companies. You've, I think this is part of your Rachel Carson um, theme. You've called them uh, keystone species. Yeah, we analogized ecosystems in our letter. Um, but what do you mean so by that? Yeah. I mean, that, I'm, what I'm saying is impact species, impact. Um, so we can only do so much. Uh, I hope to, to get bigger. Um, we've grown slowly, partly because people don't want to invest in, 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 a, in a fund that owns a, a coal power producer and a for-profit education company, which are my first two investments. We can talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So they're trying to figure this out. Um, um, but also, uh, you know, I want to go slowly because I want to make sure it works. I have to deliver the return to prove, to, to basically change corporate behavior because if I can prove the return, it'll attract capital and um, companies will listen to us. Um, so when I talk about keystone species, I talk about impact. What our goal is, is to invest in five or six industries, public companies, um, make them success stories, uh, and then have the Wall Street Journal write about it, or Breaking Views write about it. We'll, we'll write about it first, yeah. I think. Yeah. You know? So if you think about Hawaiian Electric, you know, performance-based rate making should be the future of utilities to get utilities off of rate-based rate making, which is really not relevant in a world of distributed energy, where you can use batteries instead of doing new substations. You can use car batteries to, you know, to drive home with some energy. You can do community solar. You can do all this stuff that's very asset light. So, you know, we want to prove out that if you have a trusted relationship with your regulator, um, uh, and you work on performance-based rate making, that that works for the, both the company and for the community, and. And then other regulators and other utilities would see, look at that, in, in Hawaii, this grid has been revalued because it's an enabler of third-party technology and it's open and resilient and consumers can you know, sell energy back to the grid and get paid and isn't that cool? I want to do that. So that's a key, that would be a keystone species. So in a sense, but you, so you're, you're trying to, you're, you're at proof points now. You're trying to go in and do something that, I mean, you've gone, to, Hawaiian Electric's a great example. It's, uh, it's been a more public uh, you know, situation than you're, what you're used to. I mean, you know, you, sometimes you go into a company, I don't know, like Citigroup, you're there. 
and nobody knows what you guys are talking about. With Hawaiian Electric, it's sort of b back and forth in the public. It's not really back and forth. I mean, we, we've talked about only the strengths of the company, and more recently, we believe the succession plan should incorporate people outside the company. That's all we've, that's all we've said, and we, we've said that well, an external search. That perform the performance of the company with regards to emissions has been, has been poor, and, and the potential is there. Um, and so let's, let's make the potential become real, and let's, we want to you know, have a good board with a CEO that can work with the regulator and work with the community, develop the trust, and, 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 and really prove out this model. Are you, you're not on the board? Nope, nope. Are you going to get on the board? I think they have, pro they have a proxy next month or so. You've got to, what's your plan there? Watch this space, I guess, is, is what we're looking at. I mean, I mean we're, we're working with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, um, I mean, how is this all, is, is your job getting easier, though, now? When let me you just say, let yeah. just, so if you think about impact investing, for me, impact is additionality. Um, the additionality in private market impact investing is, is primary capital. So you've got a cool company that's doing a water solution in India, you provide primary capital so that it can, so that it can invest and grow, and and it it's a point solution. Awesome stuff. You know, I'm a huge fan of, of private private equity, impact investing, but nobody's watching. This is not system change. What, system change is to go into public companies, get them to invest behind long-term um, environmental and social goals because it's good for the business and have that be celebrated both by investors and you know, whoever's watching, typically the Wall Street Journal and you guys. And then, and, and so system change is what we're after. You know, what worries me is you have all these capitalists that you know, basically love the system because it served them so well. Their companies are doing massive harm. We celebrate them as great capitalists and then they go over with their philanthropy and they fix the very problem the companies that they invested in caused. <laughs> and they get to celebrate, they're celebrated as great philanthropists too. And it's a zero sum game. No progress. Emissions go up every year. So it isn't working. The system is not working for the planet and for society. We need to change the system. The way you do that, I think, is with big public companies that have incumbency, that own the customer, that can be migrated to the new technology. But they have to have the courage to act. And on the quarterly earnings cycle, it's hard. Um, so that's, in a sense, the activism around shareholder values, for me, was typically get the right CEO and put up the numbers. And the activism around environmental and social is get the right investor base, right? When we invested in AES, it was a 9PE as a coal power producer, and the shareholders said, you can't do renewables. The fact they sold the stock when they bought a renewable company, you have to pay a big dividend. And, and, and that investor base was wrong. And so I said, let's actually, let's migrate our customers to renewables. Let's, give, let's buy energy in the market and use our coal plants less. This is kind of the company's innovation, basically. This is after we signed up for TCFD. Um, and we can decarbonize faster and migrate our customers to, to, to long-term renewable and storage PPAs, which we're, which we're doing successfully, we, have, we attracted a whole new investor base, you know, that want terminal value, that want a company that has the growth, uh, but we didn't, we grew the dividend slope more slowly, right? 
and we use the That's equity. Cash we use today the, for more success. Yeah, we later. use the equity to fund the renewable projects, and and the stock has a PE today. It's gone nine to fifteen. The PE because we found an investor base that that, that saw a company with a future, um, and that exists across so many industries. It exists in the oil and gas business, you know, you know, to idea of like do a Permian hole in the ground because it has a good return today and, 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 and repurchase my stock is, a, is just a stupid game. They're an energy company. They should be not returning the stock. They should use their capital to do hydrogen or carbon capture or whatever it is that's going to pay big in the next 20 years. They have the, the global footprint. They have the geology. They have the scientists. They have the workforce. They have the customer. Uh, they, but but the shareholder base today is telling them they can't do that. They have to pay a dividend and buy back my stock. So if we had a price for carbon, though, wouldn't it shift on a dime? The goal for my fund would be have like five tickets out there, all of which explode to the upside as soon as we get the carbon tax. By the way, it is happening. I mean, subnationally, you're getting a lot of, you know, in California, the low carbon fuel credit standard prices carbon at $200 a ton. Uh, you know, you're seeing it at the city levels, you know, you're seeing it um, at the state level. So uh, about 40% of the world is, has a renewable portfolio standard of some sort. Are you, uh, do you think that, well, let me ask you on the sort of political response or the lack thereof by the U.S. government to some of these urgent matters. In January, you mentioned there might be a backlash to the ineptitude of the current administration's approach to global warming. Any sign of that? I mean, zero, I think zero CEOs sh uh, showed up for the, for the 2015 Paris Accord. Mm -hmm. um, and then 200 CEOs showed up when Trump pulled out and said, that's wrong. So uh, it, it, he, to a certain extent, he is a foil that's working right. for us. Which reminds me, I'm going to go to a give you a break for a second. We're going to go to a poll question, not the sec, not the first poll question. We're going to the second poll question because I forgot to ask the first poll question, um, and and the question is, if we can go to it, we'll go to the next one. Can we do that, or maybe you have to all? I know. Wait, wait. You know what? Let's do this. Everybody, learn how to use your clicky there. Which economy will deliver the biggest upside surprise in 2020? Go to your clicker, so we can. China, India, the United States. Great Britain or Canada? Go. Tell us which Upside one you think. Surprise. Yeah, sorry, you can't see it. It's on. So everyone says India. Okay. Well, as you will see from your book, there is a piece that says Narendra Modi, the Prime Minister, is going to unleash some sort of economic surprise in India in the coming year. And like, if it's like his previous surprises, it's going to definitely be a surprise, and you may or may not like it. Um, let, let's go to the question I really wanted to ask, which yeah. is the next one. If the U.S. presidential election were held today, who would you vote for? Again, I mentioned this is an anonymous poll. So A, Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts. Mike Bloomberg, the mayor of this great town. Donald Trump, I think you know who he is. Joe Biden, former vice president. And Bernard Sanders from the great state of Vermont. Give your view, please. I'll give you a couple more seconds. I promise this, this only goes to Facebook. I'm interested in this one. Yeah. <laughs> B, Mike Bloomberg is the winner. Uh, you, yeah, homies. But you guys are homies. so biased. This is ridiculous. Um, but Mike certainly has a view about, about 
uh, how we yeah. need to deal with this. What's yeah. your? Uh, do you have a dog in the fight at the moment? No. No? Okay. No. Uh, that, that's it? Yeah. No. I, <laughs> I've never given money to politics. So really? Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, I mean. I mean, I gave it, some money to Obama. Okay. That was, that was it. All right. Well, this is not a political debate tonight, yeah. so don't you worry. But let me ask you just the, the zeitgeist has shifted since you started uh, two years ago. If you think about the business roundtable coming out and saying shifting its, its mission statement so that it's not just about the primacy of, of shareholders, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, you mm -hmm. saw what Larry Fink came out yeah. in his letter today. He yeah. said, uh, uh, we will be increasingly disposed to voting. Well, I'll ask you about what he's going to do in a, sec a, question, a second. But what do you think, I mean, are these guys now making your job easier or are they rendering you, rendering you obsolete if they're all doing good? The business roundtable, I was, I was on the Common Sense for Corporate Governance Committee. There was like 10 of us. I was the only hedge fund in the room. We're not really a hedge fund, but whatever. Um, it, it was, uh, and it was, so it was Larry was in the room. It was Jamie, it was Warren Buffett, um, Bill McNabb, um, and... And, and, and this idea of short-termism was just prevailing the conversation. How do we, how do we, how do we get off this short-term, this 90-day earnings clock? How do we do this? How do we do this? And, um, and, and, I, and, and I, I was starting to talk to Jamie in 2016-17, you know, ESG, sustainability, that's the ticket. That's how we get the long-term back. And, uh, and that ended, ended our conversation at the end. Uh, the business roundtable, Alex Gorski was in the room in the last meeting, and then Jamie took over, and, and, um, and, and they came out with this stakeholder announcement. Now, yeah. my view uh, is that two-thirds of the CEOs um, just want their company back. They want to be able to say no when some activist shareholder sends a letter saying, break your company up. They, 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 they just, every one of them feels like they could lose control of their company to a media-driven activist campaign. And that's frustrating, honestly, if you're, you're a CEO trying to, trying to work with, um, you know, with your customers, with your workforce, et cetera. Um, one third, and I, by the way, I'm sympathetic to that. I totally am. One third, um, Really want to really want to do something. They want they want to invest behind clean energy. They want to invest behind you know higher wages for their employees or whatever you know education benefits for their employees. They really do, and so um, you know the uh, so, so that's my that's my what's the, the last third? Re, no, so two thirds is like oh, I want two my thirds company is back. they want they want the company one third, back. Okay. One third is I, and so th those are the sort of CEOs that that last third are the CEOs that we are trying to work with with the with the new Spring Fund because you know like I said you can get a CEO fired for missing financial metrics if you're a shareholder a shareholder guy but but you can't get a CEO fired for missing environmental for missing emissions yet um, so I need to sync up with the CEO and the board uh, that want to do uh, courageous stuff. So, you, so the, the first, the two-thirds, you say, is essentially they just, they, they can now say, oh, well, I've got these stakeholders, so they, it's a way to fend off the old Jeff Ubin. Yeah. I mean, this, this uh, Council for Institutional Investors response was, 
Well, that doesn't work because if you're accountable to everybody, you're accountable to nobody. It's a fair, it's a fair point, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think we need, if we're early days on environmental and social activism, I think what's, what we need is we need uh, an activist investor that puts in place environmental and social metrics separate from financial metrics that we hold the, co the company accountable to. So when you look at Hawaiian Electric, they missed their emission target in 2020. They didn't really tell anybody they missed it. They just kind of restated it. Now they put in place 2022 metrics. We think they're going to miss those too. Uh, Don't they still burn oil mainly? It's mostly two-thirds oil. Right. 2025 is the most important thing. We need to hit 2025. So, you know, we're watching. We're talking about it. We're pointing it out. And, and, and you know, each company is going to have its own specific metric around environmental social. It's going to be a, it's a more complicated language than shareholder primacy, which has one language, which is margins, return on capital, essentially. Stock price return. Stock price, exactly. Now, um, using Hawaiian Electric as an example, what, what's your share, what percentage of the company do you own? In the one and a half, two percent. And the biggest shareholders, I'm guessing, are BlackRock? BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street are 25 percent of the shares. Ah, okay. So today, we saw Larry Fink came out with his, his annual letter. Um, and he basically, he's gone green. He's, ba he's seen the light, as it were. Um, so how, how is that going to affect the ability of Spring to do what it needs to do? I mean, I assume this means this is grease on the wheels. I mean, you're going to be able to mobilize, if not Vanguard and State Street, BlackRock to, on pretty side. It's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. I mean, if you think about, you know, we, we were around for 13, 14 years before we decided to try to try to go active on a company where we owned 1%, you know, Microsoft. We always in the past felt like we had to own 5 to 15% of the company, kind of the moral authority of being a large shareholder. Here we were 1%. We were never going to be bigger than that because the company was so, so large. Um, and it took us 15 years to gain the trust of enough institutional shareholders that they would then work with us and call the board and say ValueX should 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 be you know on your board you know it was capri it was capital uh, trust and 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 t Rowe and invesco and and um two or three other guys and uh and this can happen a lot faster because the the index funds have taken such market share that they that that it's not a distributed shareholder base. Each one of those guys I mentioned had like three or four percent of Microsoft, right. and those were big positions. So, so here I can I can in, you know uh, call three three share, shareholders instead of, and those guys those guys uh, it was like ten investors that kind of got us to twenty five percent. Here I got three, and by the way, these guys can't sell the stock, so they own the quote-unquote sustainability of this company. Um, so if you can, if I can turn that vote on around environmental and social metrics that create a more long-term sustainable company, this can happen fast. 
It's, it's really cool. What Larry wrote in his note was, we will be increasingly disposed to vote against management and board directors when companies are not making sufficient progress on sustainability-related disclosures and the business practices and plans underlying them. That's voting against or abstaining, I suppose. Is that, is that enough, though, to, to get, or do they you need no, to No, I just told you, I, I, don't, I don't understand this idea of disinvesting. Uh, look, I mean, right now, the shareholder activism around environmental social is shareholder resolutions. It's, it's people putting in, you know, two degrees mandates or whatever, whatever it is. That's fine, but, you know, that doesn't create, you know, you need, it doesn't create change. Uh, as fast as ha actually having somebody in the boardroom that owns the stock, that is working with strategy, you know, so the sort of stuff that, that, that we do. And I, what I would expect is that there would be more of these practitioners, just like there's every hedge fund's an activist today around shareholder value. You know, there's going to be more people that are comfortable leading the conversation and leading strategy around companies that essentially are in the problem and can be part of the solution. Yeah. It, yeah. it just requires investment and courage, and you got to get off the 90-day clock, and you got to attract the new shareholder base. Well, on that note, let's go to the next poll question, which is directly related to this conversation. Which company is most vulnerable to an ESG-related activist campaign? A, ExxonMobil, B, Altria, tobacco company, C, Saudi Aramco, News Corp. Oh, you used to sit up. Are you on the board still? No, no, no okay. that's, that's not that's, well, you're I didn't right. want to put you in a conflict with that question, but that's good. And then Wells Fargo, the bank. Go, give it a vote. I would probably vote ExxonMobil. What about you? Probably agree. Yeah. yeah. Let's see what you all said. Yeah, ExxonMobil. We're all so together in this room, aren't we? Saudi Aramco at the number two. Good luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things you talked about is long-term, short-term. The lockup for investors right. is five years. It's spring, right? And, and it's similar to what you did at Value Act, or did you have long? I can't remember at Value Act. At one point, you had a pretty. No, long in two thousand in two thousand nine, we uh, we realized we had an asset liability mismatch, and so we incented investors to give us five-year money uh, with a hurdle rate, and we would get paid only at the end. Um, so we had to create sustained value, um, and and that's what. Spring Fund looks like today, although we have busted the five-year, and now we have a seven-year uh, class as well. Right, okay. Which so wh what's the thing? I mean, that's... Think about, like, think about sustainability is interesting. Um, you, you, we can stay with energy. I'll come back to energy. But think about food, for instance. You know, Kellogg's needs more organic produce for um, organic um, crop for Annie's macaroni or whatever. And so the, the way it would work is they, you'd, do, you'd, you'd incent a farmer to do cover crop for three years, zero revenues. Maybe you can get some carbon credits down the road. You do two years where you have an improved yield, modest return. By year seven, eight, nine, you're finally getting the, the, gross, the gross profit on the final good uh, because p the consumer's paying more for organic. And so that's your kind of your classic sustainability. It has real pay if you can transition a farmer from monocrop to organic. And, and Annie's is a huge growing brand 10 years from now because you've got, you've got you know, um, access to the farmers. Uh, and by the way, it's, it's going to be hard to get farmers off monocrop. So you've got the, you've got the, 
you've got the material that allows you to, to grow your business. Um, that's a competitive advantage. I think the consumer will end up paying more, and that is a huge return. But it's a 10-year-out sort of big, big, that's kind of the profile of sustainable, sustainable investing. You know, when you think about, when you think about energy, you know, Shell, if you read Shell's sustainability report, it's fascinating because uh, I think Shell's one of the good guys, but they, their report shows hydrocarbon returns 13 to 15 percent. And then they show, and they, they, most of their money's going into, into hydrocarbons and, and gas. And, and that's pretty much a current return, right? That's, if, you, if, that, if those are stranded assets in 2030 and it's got a zero terminal value, that is not an IRR of 15%. If you put a zero on your terminal value, even if your current return is high, it's, it's a low IRR proposition. So, so they, they're, mixing, they're mixing kind of that, that concept of terminal value with current return. And then they're showing that their clean energy investments are sub 10%. And that's mostly because the clean energy investments uh, don't yet earn a carbon any sort of any sort of any sort of uh, like if if you were to price carbon explicitly, your clean right. energy investments have massive terminal value, right? Massive. But we're not there yet because but, we don't. Have but the we're price. not there yet. So they're they're kind of they're 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 kind of pricing out renewables and some, you know, some kind of utility-oriented investments. That's what goes into that. And so if you're an investor and you're looking at that report, you've armed the short-term investor with the very language that they want. Look, you can't do clean energy. It's a lower return proposition, right? Uh, why did you do that? You know, so the, prob the problem is that until, you know, as you know, people are unwilling to, to speculate that carbon is going to be an, at an increasing price. Hmm. They're unwilling to speculate that, but we know it's coming. We all know it's coming. Like, why not? Why not, why not speculate on that, right? But, you know, th so even the companies themselves give their, the, the very language that works against their ability to invest for the long term. Well, I mean, they're a great example, Shell. And by the way, we have the CFO, Jessica Ewell, on our panel in London on Thursday. Mm -hmm. So it'd be quite interesting. But, you know, they have, you know, they, they've put more out into dividends because in part of it is they're not sure that their investors appreciate them doing the reserve yeah. replacement stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. And then they don't get the immediate, they're, they're getting whacked if they buy this, if, if they invest the money into something that will automatically turn into a, a, a much more positive investment the minute we have They're by definition place. giving up their market share in energy, by definition. Right, right. What, yeah, um, what, what is, why not just go short all these companies? Why not just like go short and just say, all right, the hell with it. Um, it's taking too long, or, or, or not taking too long. At some point, this is going to happen. Those companies that um, are not heeding the, the, the challenge um, are going to get whacked when we have a price on carbon, the negative externalities of it. Just sit there and wait and then a minute. I mean, I think it's going to be like a rolling, like rolling cycles. I think coal went first. I mean, th th this yeah. is just harebrained stuff, honestly, but coal went first. Now oil and, ga it's oil and gas's turn, peak oil, that's their turn. Sometime at, in 2030, you know, or 2028, it, Coke's going to have a 12 PE because they basically cause diabetes and they pollute the planet. And they'll be up next. And I can go active on them. And then, so you can think, you know, think, just think through each industry and, and if they don't adapt, and they don't make these long-term investments, 
to clean up their company and quit doing harm, they will fall into, you know, your yesterday's company. Right. You know, or you or you're not in the ESG ETF and, you know, your stock price is going down. Capital um, becomes more expensive for you. Yeah. And so, you know, th that's how I'd rather do it. I mean, I don't know. I, I get it. I, mean, I, I see that. You're not, a, you're not a short seller. Yeah. What, what about, how, where's, what's the role of financial institutions, banks? I mean, why not? I mean, do you look at the, the uh, balance sheets of banks? I mean, banks are, in a sense, the providers of credit. What if, what if they, Good shouldn't idea. they be part of, harnessed in some way to make credit more scarce or more expensive for these companies that are not following? I mean, it's so diluted. But I mean, if banks, if you could get, I mean, you're already seeing insurance companies are, are making sure that they're not covering boats that are illegally fishing. I mean, they have a huge role to play. It's just, you know, that, that's such a small part of Munich Re, like how, you know, it's too diluted for me. I need, I need to see the, I need to see the, you know, the environmental and social impact be core to the business and be core to the business model. Um, but. Well, you're on the board of City, or you're you're a big investor in Citigroup. We're, yeah, we're and you have someone on the board. No, like, we're no. we're under NDA. Oh, right, so right. We've been working with them for but, a couple of years. I mean, what, what, when you get into a bank, what do you do? You, do you, does it give you a vision? You know, a, a, an idea um, that that there's something else one could do to I mean, affect my, change. My my key Citibank value act partners here. I could ask him. Or we'll we'll grab him afterwards. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> He's shaking Put his head. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, financial institutions are, are a linchpin, if you will. I mean, that you get a leverage effect. I mean, look, there's, there's some really cool stuff to be done out there where, you know, you've got, um, you've got, you get your credit card statement and it tells you based on what you're buying, you know, what the carbon footprint is. It's just like getting calories on your Chipotle order, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Changing corporate behavior is difficult because of the pressures from the shareholders, the financial bullies. Changing consumer behavior is really difficult. Um, uh, so, I mean, the, the way banks could, could work with, um, with uh, you know, as a credit card company to inform you of your spending habits, you know. Um, yeah, that's one way, right? You mean that, you know, or, or you know, or um, certainly, help you invest I mean but 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 the financial system is important and I think you're seeing they you know they don't fund coal plants anymore they're they're watching these ships that illegal fish that those are but it's hard you know that that's great stuff it's just what about this diluted I mean of course this the energy transition is going to have a cost another cost a social cost to some degree I mean if you think about I don't know jobs um, in the Permian and uh, or um, pipelines yeah. Or the new, uh, the cost of heating your home might go up in the in, during that transition. What is enough being done to kind of also make to deal with that? To deal with the dis the the, yeah, dislocation. the dislocation from the transition. Um, I mean, the definition of capitalism today is to dislocate em employees, is to cut. I mean, it, it just is. I mean, I saw Schwab buy TD Waterhouse. We basically have three companies in every industry. We have three HMOs. We have three waste management companies. You know, we have three um, you know uh, brokers okay. now. Um, and and the the whole business plan, from what I can tell, was you know consolidate more so we can charge more to the customer ultimately, and and cut the acquired company's employees. So 
you know, this is just, so the idea that to burden me with the idea that if I'm going to try to get out of, you know, industrial farming, I got to fire some people, you know, that's, I think that's small scale relative, relative to what capitalism does every day, which is try to profit maximize. Right. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question, then we're going to go to a question for, to the audience. But you're in California, obviously, what, and you've obviously watched the situation at PG&E quite closely. Is there any, what lessons can we learn, you know, from a climate change and other perspective from, from the uh, ongoing travails of it's utility. to me the utility industry is so interesting. It's the, it's by definition the the you know it's a it's a classic multi-stakeholder model. You've got the regulator, and you've got the legislature, and you've got the customer, and you've got you know um, the environment, um, uh, and and the governance of a utility. The, the the grid is the most important asset in the clean energy economy because it really is the, the asset that's going to empower. Uh, 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 renewable energy and, and storage uh, to s slowly but surely replace um, baseload coal and gas. Right. Um, and it's going to also be used to electrify our homes and electrify transportation. Um, so that is like, that is the crown jewel and it has to be loved and invested in. Um, um, and and, and therefore, in my opinion, also since the customer has no choice, it's a damn monopoly, this industry should have the best governance. It's so important. If you have bad governance and the customer has no choice and the grid is super important to safety and, 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 uh, and, and, and moving off of uh, hydrocarbons, it's you know, it's really, really important. And it's probably the, it's probably, generally speaking, probably, it's like a backwater sort of governance industry. Right. Um, so we need to move, and they're 25% of the emissions, so we need to move that industry much, much further up the priority. Just nationalize scale. it? Should it be owned by Governor You're talking Newsom? about PG&E specifically? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a classic microgrid opportunity for sure. Um, so that's, you know, you get off the centralized model and, you know, an outage here doesn't cause an outage over there. So it's going to be a great place of innovation. Um, I think if the utility can gain the trust of the regulator and the governor and the legislature and the customer, everything will be, uh, everything could get quite, uh, quite, it could be quite exciting. So you, were, you invested in, you We invested haven't really invested in it. We were, I was on the slate, the right. Green Mountain, the, the Blue Mountain slate. Right. Because I thought it was kind of a classic, let's replace a bad board with a good board, but the New York hedge funds thought it was a classic bankruptcy so they could dictate the board. Right. Which is what they did. And they're still fighting a bit between the bankrupt, the, the bondholders and the equity holders, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a knife fight. <laughs> it didn't have to be, but it is. That's what they do. Right. Investment. So we're going to go to a question, and then I'm going to uh, John come up and, and go through some of the questions that you all had. So which investment will perform best in the coming year? A little out of left field. SoftBank, that's the equity. Blackstone, again, the stock. Crude oil. Ooh. BlackRock, which we've talked about. And the British pound sterling, the currency of the United Kingdom. Please give your view. Which one do you think, Jeff? Which? So which will be the best performing? Which will be the best year. and best? Which will outperform? 
The pound. Which one? The pound. The pound? Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. You guys still have a stake in Rolls Royce, don't you? That's, uh... Yes. OK, why don't we see the uh, survey says? Yeah, BlackRock. Wow, OK, there you go. But kind of neck and neck with Blackstone. Well, you will see in your book that you'll be taking home this evening um, and reading, um, we, have a, we have posited the idea of a BlackRock Blackstone reunification. I'll leave it at that. It's in the book. Okay, so John, do you have some questions from the audience that you want? Many wanted? questions. Okay. We have an abundance of good questions, so I'm going to pick the ones that I like, and I'm going to ask you an E and an S, and then if we've got time, I'll ask you a yeah. G. So, um, big financial institutions, including the ones that you've mentioned tonight, uh, are actively funding fossil fuel uh, companies. What should we do about this, and what can we do about it, and what can you do about it? Well, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of, of um, villainizing, and I'm not a fan of um, denying capital you know, to the incumbent who could very, very much be part of the solution. So, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not in support of that. I want to, I have this company called Nikola Motor, Nikola Corp, and we're doing, we're basically taking energy off the grid in the middle of the day, and we're making hydrogen at scale, um, and then we're, we're we, the offtake is the, is the trucks going up and down I-5. And so we've time shifted the value of this free energy and we, we're going to decarbonize long haul trucking. You need to do hydrogen instead of batteries because batteries are just too, are just too heavy uh, when you're getting into long haul trucking. Um, and hydrogen is exciting. It's kind of the end game. It's the last 15% of everything because it's water in, water out, and it's not extractive. Um, so I think we'll be spinning turbines and doing fuel cell transportation with hydrogen. Um, but it's difficult to raise money for refueling infrastructure. Again, investors would prefer to do a SaaS, a SaaS business. And so I need the cap budget of Shell or BP. I need it. I need them to give me the money to build out my company. I just need to convince them that they, you know, that this is a no current return attached, probably doesn't start generating cash until 2024. But over the next 30 years, this is going to be huge. So I don't want to deny capital or, or divest. I want to get the vote, and I want to, make the ch I want to grab the cap, cap budget and do something with it. Um, S. You've talked a lot about environment and climate, but in terms of social issues, um, would, you ever, would you ever target a gun maker? And do you think that companies have a role to play in shaping policy on firearms? That is one industry that I would villainize and put out of business for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So but but I, I've never, I, that's, not, that's not something I, I've thought about. I'm not involved with that, but, but go for it. <laughs> we want you to go for it. So are there any examples of, of a situation where a chair and a CEO role should be combined? Do you take, what, what position do you take on that idea of, of combining the roles, which obviously is common here, but less common in a lot of other places like Britain? No, we've always advocated for, for splitting them. You know, somebody has to have a boss. I mean, I, I have a boss, which is my limited partners. The, the chair of the board has a boss, which is me as the owner. And then, and then the CEO has, to ha has a boss, who is the chair. Everybody has to have a boss. The asset owner is the ultimate boss. Really? We've got time for more questions? 
Go for it. Go Ooh, for another one. I'll keep going until you shut me up. Um, so um, the US government has been, um, so the question says MIA when it comes to some of these issues about climate change and carbon tax and so on, but states have been taking a role, a more prominent role. So what states do you think are leading and to what extent do you look at state policy when you're thinking about the way things should oh, it's look? It's super important. I mean, the whole idea of, of, of incentives or subsidies uh, is to is to allow for uh, the scale the supply chain scale to kick in so we can go down the cost curve and so when you get California that is incentivizing renewable diesel um, with a low carbon fuel standard or by the way they're incentivizing Nikola too because we're going to access the same low carbon fuel standard when we sell hydrogen um, which is like I said earlier two hundred dollars a ton it really makes the business work um, I think New York's going to go, going to put in renewable diesel standards, and pretty soon we can. We have a company that's doing renewable diesel, uh, and we can, in this case, we can pipeline it up to New York. Um, and this, this is, you know, we repurpose uh, animal fat and restaurant grease into into zero carbon fuel. Right now, we have to ship, we have to, you know, sh ship it to California, which is our only market. But once New York uh, uh, kicks in, we can put it into a pipeline. And that will explode that business. Um, now, we may be short feedstock. You know, pretty soon, I think you're going to go to McDonald's and they're going to pay you to eat the French fries so they can sell the grease. <laughs> <laughs> that's, my, that's my vision. Um, but, but, you know, so this is, this is super, really, really important. We need scale. You know, we need to go down cost curves. The whole reason, the whole reason this became exciting and climate became exciting is that you can make money moving to renewable energy because solar went down the cost curve um, and and uh, and batteries uh, maybe next um, we need to incentivize batteries so you you alluded earlier to making money in your in the early part of your career from coal companies for example no i didn't do that oh you didn't do that no tom okay. Sire did that though Okay. <laughs> that was such a thing. I, I thought you didn't have a dog in the fight. I don't know why I said that. No, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Because the question was guy. what the question was what did you do with the money that you made and would you give it back? But the, but more broadly, like what is your plan for the money that you have made? What's your do you have any what are your personal? Yeah, you're a rich guy now. Priorities? What are you gonna do with all that money? Um You buy a hockey team. No. Um Yeah, I I stopped this is like a really private question. <laughs> I stopped growing my net worth uh, three or four years ago. Um, I don't. I don't need any any more than I have. Um, and so I. Uh, I give uh, all my income away from here every year. I don't want to say with, with how much that is. That seems crass. Um, I do think that. I do think my industry is populated by people that have a hoarding problem. They just hoard money. Uh, so, uh, I, I, and, I, and, and I think it's, you know, it's, there are people that, you know, hoard Amazon, they buy at Amazon and their houses get filled with crap. Same thing with money. So, I'm not one of those guys, at least. Well, wealth tax would take care of that. <laughs> I mean, for sure, tax me, you know, I, I I'm, I'm either going to give it away or going to give to the government. Uh, you know, I, we don't trust the government, so it's easy to say, let me give my own money away. But we need to build trust in the government. 
we need them. Did you see that article with Warren in the FT where he said that it's, it's not my job as a, at, at a company to, to, to do education or healthcare. That's the government's job. Well, you know, Warren is asking for Elizabeth Warren. He's asking for her to be president. That's not, that's, that's the, pro that, that is, that is the problem. Hmm. All right, on that note. Like we have a company that's helping companies educate their workforce it will, it will go online. Because we didn't talk, we've been talking about environment a lot, but that's yeah, kind of Yeah, so strategic education, their whole business model as a poor-profit education company was to recruit students online with search engines. Now this company is particularly good at student outcomes relative to the industry, which basically got put out of business by Obama. And so they have good DNA, and they have a lot of technology to do awesome online uh, undergraduate and postgraduate uh, degrees. Um, but m we synced up with management on this idea that we should move from a, a student recruitment model to an enterprise model, and we should um, make uh, education benefit as, as common as healthcare benefits are. And, and, and if we're going to do that, we need to get our tuition lower. And so every quarter I go, tuition's down, right? And Wall Street's like, when are you going to raise tuition? And so we battle between the short-term guys. The long-term game is that if we can move it to an enterprise model and make it a human capital management company and educate what is 70% of the workforce that doesn't have a college degree paid for by the company because it's super affordable and super convenient. We've done what Bernie Sanders wants, but we've used the markets, which is we educate for free the populace. And it's good for business because the retention rate goes up if you provide an, an education benefit. So, you know, that it's counterintuitive to say poor for-profit's a part of the solution. But in this particular case, because the company has a purpose, as Larry would say, and is mission-driven, I think they, they have a chance to be really, really important around educating the workforce. Last question for you all. We're going to think long-term here, or longer-term. Which of these is most likely to be extinct by 2030? The iPhone, Facebook, Forex traders, <laughs> internal combustion engine, or the euro? The That's single a currency. question. <laughs> I credit John with this one. This is a good one. That's okay, excellent. give it your give it your best. What would you say on that? I don't know. I'm this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be quiet in this. This is good. We asked a bunch of forex traders this question actually today in a thing. <laughs> ah, I would have said that. Nice. Yeah, Love well. it. Well, this is weird. Forex traders and the euro. I mean, if the euro breaks up, there's going to be a whole lot of need for forex trading, right? That makes no sense. Well, look, Jeff. Thank you very sure. much. Thanks, thank you all for coming. for coming. Give Jeff a hand. Thank you very much. That's it for now. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Exchange. The podcast was produced by Freddie Joyner, New York. If you haven't already done so, please sign up on iTunes and anywhere else you satisfy your audio cravings for The Exchange, The Views Room, and other Reuters podcasts. You can also check us out at BreakingViews.com and on Twitter at BreakingViews and at Rob1Cox. Thanks for tuning in and arrivederci.